Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy, successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with business owners, executives, and retirees for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to another investment edition of the Wealthy Behavior Podcast, where I talk to our Chief Investment Officer, Bob Weiss, about what's going on in the markets and the investment universe right now. Bob and I have been having these conversations at the beginning of every month for the last few months, and will continue to do so, so please look for them wherever you get your podcasts. So Bob, our last episode came out on July 1st, and the title of it was, It's Different This Time, It's Actually Not As Bad, and you and I shared reasons for optimism about this market why we didn't think this bear would be as bad as the last three, and even that we were positive about uh, things like bonds. And I guess Wall Street and investors uh, should send you a thank you note, Bob, because the markets had quite a July. I think it was the best month in in over two years. Yeah, that's right, Sammy. Um, July was interesting. The global stocks were up about 7%, and bonds even had a total return of about 2.5%. So some price appreciation in bonds as yields fell, which which is interesting when you think about July. What happened in July? Um, inflation numbers came out high. People were still concerned about inflation. The Fed raised rates, but yields fell. So I think that just kind of hits to one of the points we were talking about um, with a lot of this stuff being priced into the market. So that's the the data in terms of um, you know the strong rebound for markets. U.S. large caps did well. Small caps did well. Sounds like international markets did well, as as did bonds. Um, you, you started to touch on some of the reasons or some of what you saw, but basically what happened? What what drove this? Yeah, what we think is happening is the uh, market is shifting from concerns about inflation to concerns about an economic slowdown, i.e. a recession. And those are different environments. Um, the inflationary environment is one of high bond yields, rising bond yields, which is quite a headwind and a recession is more the, the flight to quality. People buy bonds, yields go down, it's, it's hunkered down on quality assets. So they're different dynamics. And we, we're starting to see the pendulum shift a little bit from inflation being number one concern to an economic slowdown and a recession being the top concern. And that impacts both the stock and the bond markets? Yeah, the, the, the great irony of it is I say that and people are probably cringing, oh, that's not good. And yet that's why stocks and bonds made money in July. So <laughs> you have to unpack that a little bit and say, wait, so why, why is that? And just stepping back, bond yields going down. When yields go down, prices go up. So that's math. You make money in bonds in that environment. And uh, higher bond yields have been a headwind for stocks. As an asset allocator, every day we have to choose. It's not this simple, but you want to buy stocks or bonds. And when bond yields are higher, stocks, all those equal, are less attractive. So if bond yields are at four, five, six, seven percent, stocks are less attractive than if bond yields are at two or three. So seeing bond yields fall um, can be a good thing for stocks as well. So we we had a theme in in the last couple of podcasts that we did talking about things being priced in or were things being priced in or not. It was July, uh, a function of some things that the market was worried about were, were fully priced in and, and now it was time to look forward? I think definitely on the interest rate front, 
you know, we've been hearing for a while and answering questions, you know, well, the Fed's raising rates, should we get out of bonds? And it's no, it's priced in, it's priced in. And they, they you know, um, kept doing that and raising rates more than um, anyone was expecting. But this month, that was the case, or in July, that was the case. They raised rates 75 basis points as expected, and rates fell. So the market was totally prepared for that. So where does that leave us now? I, 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 mean, I joked earlier about our podcast turning the market around, which obviously it didn't It'd be great if it could. Um, we don't have a crystal ball and we don't manage money thinking that we do. But what are you seeing in the data and what are markets telling us right now about where we might be headed? Yeah, so it goes to that point I made uh, a couple minutes ago about pendulum shifting from panic about inflation to a recession. And I do think that's the appropriate perspective. Um, Just stepping back when you think about what's going on and the Fed is in the center of it, the Fed and their credibility is paramount. When you look at the US dollar fiat currency, what's behind it, um, used to be gold last 50 years, now it's nothing. And um, when foreigners put their money in US dollars, when you know US investors have their savings in dollars, there's trust that inflation will not run away and erode the value of that currency. And the Fed is the one that stands behind it. They're kind of the, the guardians of preserving the value of the dollar. And uh, th- they take their credibility very seriously. And what's interesting is if you go back just to 2020, um, they said that they want the average rate of inflation to be 2%, not the, the current rate. They changed the language slightly, which meant they were going to push up inflation just a little bit to prove to the markets that they could control inflation so precisely because they, they wanted their credibility. They you know put a little gasoline on the fire to spark it to, to get average inflation at 2% so they could say, see, we can do it. And then, whoops, now we're in this mess with inflation running around 9% and it's their fault. And when it's all about them having credibility and they made this mistake, they're going to come out guns blazing and do what it takes to get inflation back down to 2%. That is job number one for them. And what will that do to the economy? More likely than not, it'll put us into recession. I I just think that's an important backdrop to understand, um, as opposed to persistent inflation that we'll never be able to get rid of. While maintaining a good economy, I think the, the Fed's going to focus on inflation, number one, and that, that will um, slow down economic activity. So when you talked about the Fed kind of triggering 9%, are you paraphrasing market participants and kind of simplifying the argument? Or do you put a lot of this on uh, the Fed over the last couple of years, where we are with inflation today? Oh, no, I definitely put a lot of it on the Fed. Um, I mean, the housing market's been out of control. It's been so hot and the interest rates were um, near zero um, going into this year, you know, and they were buying mortgage-backed securities, pushing down the prices of uh, mortgages. So they were adding stimulus to a very hot housing market as one example. Um, Job market was strong. So they were just adding a lot of stimulus um, pretty late in the game. So while inflation was ticking up and then just using the word transitory, I bet they wish they never used it. But the, the data was showing that inflation's there. The data was showing the economy strong and they were dismissive of it. Oh, it's transitory. Don't worry about it. And I, I think it's fair to say they were wrong on that. We're all wrong with things at times. I don't want to stand here and feel like I'm the one who's always right. But um, they, they, they missed the boat and they have some catching up to do. So you, you said more likely than not that we will go into a recession. Why, why do you say that? And, you know, maybe a connected question to it is, can you have 
a recession, and there's been some debates recently about what defines a recession and who who determines it. But can you have one without job data getting uh, or job numbers getting a lot worse? No, I don't think you can. I think for a recession to happen, um, one of the key measures is employment, and unemployment will have to tick up. Yesterday, just watching CNBC late in the day and uh, watching some companies come out with earnings, I think this gives you a bit of a snapshot of what's going on. Um, Starbucks was fine. Starbucks had good earnings. And you think about a company that selling coffee and people are still buying coffee, economy is still good. Um, Robinhood, a, a fintech brokerage firm, is laying off 23% of their workforce. Um, lost $300 million for the quarter. Average daily users down about 33%. Um, so you're looking on on one hand, an established blue chip company continuing to make money. That's just part of the, the economy. And then um, one of these companies that's more on the fringe, non-profitable tech. And that's the area that's deflating. And that trickles through to the economy. So laying off 23% of their workforce and just seeing things like that that are going to continue to unfold. Um, we're starting to see that reflected in the jobs data. Um, came out what yesterday. The, what was the number? Yeah, you shared with me recently, Bob. Yeah, it's um, yesterday was jolt. So job openings. So on Friday, this coming Friday, it's the unemployment um, rate. But yesterday it was job opening. So just employers looking to hire people, and um, it went down. So there are fewer job openings. So just to put it very simply, and you know, the, the direction with all these things matters. It's not just the level, but the change. Like, are we going up? Are we going down? And job openings have been increasing. Like you just mm. drive around and it's like everywhere from McDonald's to you, you name it, they're hiring and that's changing. I think the labor market's just starting to tighten, but it does have a ways to go. So, you, you know, you, you look at that and you talk about soft landing, which is no recession, you know, hard landing, which is a recession, shallow recession, mild recession, longer recession. Does it matter ultimately, you know, what this ends up being categorized as, or can we all just agree that basically there needs to be a slowdown of some sort? There is going to be a slowdown of some sort to get inflation under control. And what it ultimately ends up being called or categorized as is, you know, less important. I generally agree with you. Um, we just don't want it to be a 2008 recession, and I don't think it will be, but that's. You can't say that's not in the cards at all. So I think they should be able to get us back in a good place, get inflation down without really crashing the economy and taking markets down 50%. It should be a mild recession, a lowercase r recession, some of those things you were saying. So yeah, hopefully that is um, as bad as it gets. And then um, investors will do just fine from here if you have a time horizon that, that's you know three, five, 10 years. So from that standpoint, just being a long-term investor, I, I wouldn't get all worked up over discussions like this, getting in the weeds of the, the technicalities of a recession. What should investors be looking for right now? It's a, it's a little bit, I don't know, maybe paradoxical to think that you know uh, signs of a recession or signs of a slowdown could be a positive news for stocks because it will lead to inflation coming under control. Like what's considered good news? What's considered bad news? What does the market want to see with the economy and the inflation numbers? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. That gets back to July. Um, a recession becomes more likely. So stocks go up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so 
the, the, the old adage, bad news is good news. I, I do think everyone wants to see inflation uh, slow down. So good news would be, first and foremost, like getting a good CPI print and seeing that come down, um, seeing the labor market cool off. But it's you don't want it to slow down too much. You don't want a terrible unemployment number. So that's that's a tricky one. But just seeing inflation slow that that's the the good news. The other factors um, you can look at them both ways. From an investing standpoint, though, I think it's just important to recognize where we are, and that um, there's been a lot of price changes in markets um, in the negative direction over um, this year. So a lot of this is priced in. And as far as what are investors to do at this point, I think it's just time to um, continue to invest, rebalance, stay the course and not get caught up in this. What specifically on the rebalancing front should they be looking at? Both stocks and bonds. We're now getting about a 4% yield on investment grade bonds. That's pretty good. Uh, so when a Financial plan in most cases, you know, might need five, six, seven percent. If your bonds can get you four percent, that's solid. So putting money into bonds with yields at that level is good. And then stocks. Stocks are more attractive, uh, both U.S. markets down, um, but then also overseas. Foreign U.S. market was above average valuations. Foreign markets were about average going into this year, and now that they have sold off, they're pretty cheap. So it's really buying stocks, buying bonds. And at Heritage, what we're doing is we're selling some of the investments that have made money for our clients this year. Um, so that's um, really inflation sensitive assets like real assets um, and some private credit where we've made money. So selling what, what's worked to buy what's down. And you've also shared with me that municipal bonds are more attractive right now, which hasn't always been the case over the last few years. Why is that, and and what are you looking at when you when you say something like that? Yeah, municipal bonds are interesting. It's um, the market is um, participated in by retail investors, so individual investors, meaning you do not have large sovereign wealth funds in there or institutions, so that the depth is not there. So prices can move um, a little more than they should, you could say at times. And retail investors are also known for being a little emotional, a little more emotional than uh, institutions. So there's been a lot of selling of municipal bonds this year. And as a result, prices have fallen. Um, some people speculate that it's from tax law selling. When you think about it, municipal bond investors, by definition, are very tax sensitive. So seeing losses in their bond funds, they're selling to take losses. Whatever the reason is, Prices have gone down and munis yields have gone up. So now getting a mid two to a 3% yield federal tax-free in munis is on the table. Um, we haven't seen an opportunity like that in a long time. So uh, we, that's an area that we're looking to start to add um, in certain client portfolios. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you touched on this a little bit in terms of valuations and also how international markets performed in July, but what are you seeing more broadly in, uh, outside of the U.S.? Yeah, outside the U.S., emerging markets are interesting. There's a lot going on there, though. Um, I mean, just yesterday in the news, China and Taiwan, it, it is kind of a mess. Um, but we do think that that is set up to be a good place to invest if you have the time horizon, which investors who are buying stocks in general should. Um, I guess I, I would point to when you're looking overseas, emerging markets, though, we think that is attractive because um, really the, the picture can't get much worse. 
and valuations just support it as a good entry point. When we talk to our managers, um, our foreign managers, the emerging market uh, managers are pretty bullish right now. And sometimes you can sniff out, like, are they just selling product or is it genuine? And um, you know, they're finding opportunities, good valuations, good entry points and companies they've been following for a while. So it is an area we like. And as part of rebalancing, we're adding there. What else is on your team's desk right now? Yeah, we're looking at private equity. Um, private markets are interesting. In some areas, they are um, you know, keeping pace with public markets as far as negativity and opportunities, but others, they're not. So you know, valuations can still be a little high. So we're sorting through that. Um, well, that, that's the main thing. And we, we've talked about a lot of it with bonds. It's, it's been a lot of work um, going through the bond market as the yield curves changed so much this year, looking through different sectors. So that's most of it. Thanks for that overview, Bob. And uh, it sounds like your team has been busy, but summer also brings some opportunities to unwind a little bit, maybe crack into a couple of books. Uh, have you ever read anything recently that you would recommend to our listeners? That I would recommend to our listeners. So, well, it depends on um, <laughs> what you're interested in. A little nerdy. Assuming they're uh, you and interested in the same things you are, Bob. It, Ray Dalio, The Changing World Order. Well, Ray Dalio, he um, runs or founded um, Bridgewater uh, Advisors, uh, one of the largest hedge funds in the world. He wrote a book and it, it looks at the U.S. and different countries going back for centuries. And it, it does paint an interesting picture um, on the future of the U.S. Frankly, it, it is a little negative, um, so you have to read it with um, a bit of skepticism. But it, it, it does point to the potential that the U.S. may not lead the world forever. Um, he looks at how countries um, take power and then eventually, you know, they don't stay in the lead forever. And, you know, just goes through the different um, things that you see as a country starts to lose its power. And you've seen some of them in the U.S. So like political divisiveness, income inequality, funding foreign wars. So it's not really an uplifting book, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it goes through history and definitely makes you think about things a little bit more. Yeah, he's an extremely thoughtful guy, and he's shifted to this phase of his career where he's sharing a lot of what he's learning in his research. And he's, he's got a few of these books, including the first one, Principles, which I think um, I would broadly recommend, that, as would you. We've talked about that in the past. Any others? No, I just started Mary Child's um, The Bond King, story about Bill Gross, and so far it's interesting. Um, and I think we might be talking about that in a future podcast. Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, I read that uh, a while ago and recommended it through my Wednesday reading list on the bostonadvisor.com. And we are having a podcast episode with Mary uh, because there's a lot of fascinating aspects to the Bill Gross PIMCO story that individual investors can, can learn a lot from and a, a new perspective on what happened during the Great Recession and you know how to choose managers and things of that nature. So yeah, that, that was a great one as well. Thank you, Bob, for sharing your thoughts on the markets and the investment universe. I think it's always instructive uh, for our listeners to hear somebody who oversees a team managing over $2 billion on what we're thinking and what they could be thinking about. And I look forward to future episodes at the beginning of every month. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and sharing this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow Heritage Financial on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. 
check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.